Morning. Glad to see you guys. So glad to hear you. It just is like a sound, like a sound of a bomb from the wound that's on my soul from not being able to see everybody the same way. Um, please, if you remember that, that full tummy project, let's get uh, food going back toward that again. We were doing that uh, early on in the COVID stuff, and uh, it's just really needed for a, a lot of families right now. I just wanted to kind of piggyback on that. And so I was thinking about when we first started, like March 15th was the very first Sunday that we did not all meet together. And, um, you know, and then we, we kind of tried to scramble, can we get a camera? Can we do this? What do we do? And, and philosophically, do we want to? You know, we had to think through all of those kind of things. And then, um, then we finally get to come back, and it's just, you know, some people come, and they're like, whoa, that's just weird, and it just feels strange. And, and I get that. Uh, it feels sterile. And I don't know about you, and if you're, you're watching at home, uh, I think this is encouraging because the reason I'm saying these things is because we're making progress, I think, uh, is to hear that the last couple of weeks it's just seemed like a sweet spirit here, and that's very subjective, and I understand that. But when people are singing, at first it was just kind of like it, it just felt like we were doing it because we had to, and, 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 and now it just feels like we're just pushing through and slowly moving forward, and I was just encouraged to see that. So hang in there. If you're at home, we're glad you're still with us. If you are here, I'm glad that you are here. I notice nobody is still in the front and the center. It's just right there. I get that. That probably shouldn't even be there. Um, you know, we're always learning, moving. It's all good. All right. Thank you for hanging out. Um, we are in the Everyday Disciple series. And Jesus told his disciples, after he spent about three years with them, right, and getting to know them, he says, hey, Tell the whole world who I am and what I've done. That was the last thing he said, and then he left, right? And, and we've said this before many times, that the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church, right? The mission has a church. That is your, our purpose. It is, it is not why you were created. You were created to be in fellowship with God, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. But the purpose, the, the calling that you have on your life is to be on mission. It is to take the name of Jesus where it is not named yet and to make it more fully understood where it is not fully understood yet, as much as possible. That is why we exist, and we get great joy from that when we understand that. Now, our mission still exists because God's worship isn't everywhere yet, right? There are still those that do not know him, and they exist globally in unreached people groups, which we're going to spend an entire Sunday on, so don't, don't, don't fret. I'm, I'm going to take care of that, I promise but they also exist right here at home under our roofs and in our children and in our friends and our neighbor's children. And we have been exploring what a disciple is, one that follows Jesus in all of life, not just a class, not just gathering on Sunday morning, not just one that gives a tithe or sings some songs or even goes to a missional community group that meets during the week, but where all of life revolves around Jesus as the center, right? That's what happened to his disciples. That's what he did. That's what they did. They organized their lives around Jesus rather than having Jesus fit into the life they already had. We'll take this part, Jesus, and then we'll take this part. Jesus is not an add-on. He's just not. He's a king. We submit. <laughs> right? He's not a beggar that we should come to him. And yet, to live like Jesus lives is our goal. To love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. And then to take that and to spread his glory by making disciples isn't just our mission, but it's our joy. Now, what if it was true? Every person 
was, this was their true primary goal of everybody here in church in North Alabama. What would our praise and worship be like? What would our gatherings be like? We're like, yes, that is what is at the center of my life. So that is, and that is our target, and that is what we, were, we are moving toward. This week, and we're going to turn our focus toward leading your family or how to disciple your family. This is simply just taking a, a microscope, right, and putting it on top of the great command and to make, to make disciples, and we're going to see in detail what it looks like up close to make disciples in the normal everyday of our families. Now, whether you're single or married with kids or no kids or divorced, young, adult, older adult, it doesn't really matter. Not only do we need to know what the Bible says about making disciples in our families, but how to become a deeper disciple. To not just settle for the fact that, yes, I understand the data of the gospel and I, I mentally assent to that and that is great, and now I'm just going to kind of live. And say, like, no, that's not enough. We want to really know who Jesus is. We want there to be a burning and a passion in our heart that, that we really live this way, that we really thrive and flourish because of who Christ is. It is not enough to check a card, get dunked, and then continue to live the same way. That's not really Christianity. And we, we've been fooled into thinking that. And nobody's done that on purpose. It's just happened from the culture that we kind of live in. And say, no, that's not enough. We want you to go deep into Christ, to dive deep, be plunged in to the, 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 the amazing ocean of who God is. I've been doing that the rest of my life. I've been doing it since I was nine. And whether you're a child or whether you're a teenager, you have a part in this too. This is a time for you to be receptive, to listen to mom and dad. And, and if you've got both, that's great. If you don't, who are the Christian influences in your life? Grandparents, it is your job to listen. And sometimes you won't want to. And so this is a point where you're going to have to be, what, what does the Bible say? We, we are all part of this. We all contribute to a healthy body of believers. We're the sum of our parts, we're much more than the sum of our parts in one sense, but in another sense, it, we want each family unit to be as healthy as possible so that the overall health of the, the corporate body will be, it will be healthy. How do we do that? We're commanded to make disciples in the sphere that we find ourselves in. And yes, we're going to definitely talk about global missions. Don't worry about that. Well, let's deal with the here and now. If you can't make disciples here, you will not be able to magically make disciples over there. It doesn't just, when you get on a plane and go to Nepal, it doesn't just, oh, well, suddenly I know how to make, <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. We want to learn how to do this in our homes with our spouses. What? Yes, it's a thing. I want us to think about that, the opportunities there. The first time I spoke on leading your family in, in worship, I say that because this is the Bible I use. It was back in 2008. I don't use this Bible anymore. I can't, I can't see it. I can't read it. <laughs> it's a long time ago, right? And I've still got the tape that was on the back of the microphone that I used there because it was the day my grandmother passed away. And I drove straight from preaching to Mississippi to give her funeral uh, in a couple days. Back then I had two small children, a two-year-old and a baby, and I had one, uh, an amazing idealism and lots of energy. I was going to right all the wrongs I saw. We're going to do family worship this way, this way, and I'm going to we'll call each other this. And it was great. It was a great plan. Until those kids started moving around <laughs> and talking back and having ideas and thoughts of their own. Um, and now I'm 12, it's 12 years later, four children later. I hope I still have the energy that I had or something close. I don't think I do. Um, but I have a different lens. 
to look through um, now and and just discipling our families and it's a little different god is so patient and so kind and so merciful that i thought that would be a great place to start is receiving from him before we launch our great ideas and strategies and whatever whatever else right so here are your two points i I had four but i thought i'd shorten it so it it distilled down into two leading yourself and then leading your family disciple yourself disciple your family number one disciple yourself or in parenthesis here i have received the father's love so let's start with the obvious you can't give you can't pass down what you don't have you can pass down a form of it, but be denied the godliness that is, that's inherent to it. That's what Timothy tells us, or Paul tells Timothy. He says you can, you, can, you can do Bible studies, you can have lesson plans, you can implement prayer time and family worship music sets and have family mission trips. But if your hearts have not been seized by the great affection of God, if you haven't encountered the love and the mercy of God who has brought to you a new life that has taken the dead and brought life out of it or brought out of darkness light or out of chaos order if you have not experienced that then none of that will matter it'll be a plan and nothing more and and making disciples to you and even of your children will seem hollow lifeless and maybe not necessarily worth it as a duty because it will be Without a new heart from Jesus, it will at best, making disciples will at best, of your children will at best, be an attempt to use the Bible and church to make make more respectable, moral children that stay in line. They will be viewed as a project. At worst, they will be used for behavior modification that will drive a wedge between those you love and the God that loves them. This is not what the Bible teaches us that discipleship is being a follower of Jesus. We must be born again. So I ask, have you received the love of the Father? You see, in the very beginning, there was no need to teach on how to disciple your family. It was inherent. Right? Because Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. They didn't have to study how to do it. They just did it. (laughs) Well, that's going to be awesome. Because when Jesus comes back, and, and a new heaven and a new earth are here, and there's no more Bible studies or classes or mission. There's no need for it anymore. We will be with him. He will be our son. We will know, and we will be fully known. We won't need to study a thing. We won't have to have anything that points us to Jesus any longer because we'll have the real thing. Now that, I, we long for that. Man, all you got to do is look at the news and go, that is what we want. But we're not there yet. Why? Because of our disobedience to God. Because of, of the garden and, and the sin and, and, and saying, no, I want that. I want to eat the fruit, Lord, of Adam and Eve in the garden. We call that the fall in which sin and death come in and plague and ravage us. And, and, and our relationship with God and the whole world and all of creation has just led to this profound brokenness and evil and disunity. And when sin entered the world, the family unit was and still is fractured, broken, not what it should be. But the remedy of God set up happened early on too. 
Genesis 3.15. Let's put that up there. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Chapter 3, verse 3.15. It says, I will put, and this is God talking. God was the first prophet. And he says this, an enmity. Enmity means hatred. And he's speaking to the serpent here, which we find in Revelation is, is Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between the, the Satan, uh, our enemy, and, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The Proto-Evangelion is what it's called, the very first gospel we see in Genesis. And, and it, I want you to see it all starts in the garden at the very beginning. That, that, the he there, that third person, is out of nowhere. He's talking to the serpent, and then he says he. And it's not at the serpent that he's addressing. That he is talking about Jesus. He's at the beginning. This is the big story. The rest of the Bible is about he. About the unfolding of God's plan, of this prophecy. Here's what's going to happen. So I do this a lot. I go back to the beginning a lot because I want you to see that making disciples is rooted in the very beginning. It's what the entire Bible is about. It's God's glory. And then Genesis says, here's how it started. And then it rolls out through the rest of Revelation. And all praise and glory and honor is to be to him. Because the story of the apex of the story is in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we see from Abraham to Moses uh, to Joshua to the judges to David to the prophets that this whole story, this whole biblical theology we talked about two weeks ago is about how God is rescuing for himself a people and filling the earth with his image, which is for his glory and for our good. It's for his name's sake. It is about worship, which is why missions exist, because worship is not everywhere yet. Now, to see that making disciples is fulfilled, I want you to see that it's in the original command that God gave to Adam and Eve. Go forth, multiply. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is the Great Commission. Spreading God's glory over the whole earth. Instead of having babies, now only, it's making disciples. It's through faith. It's no longer biological evangelism alone, right? It's part of it. We're doing our part. Jesus is the remedy for all that sin and death has ruined and wreaked havoc on. Now, every other religion says this, that you have to do something to prove yourself, to pay for your weaknesses, to overcome your sins, and in some way you work your way up the mountain to God. Christianity is the only religion that says that a holy God, he comes down the mountain to you, he does not require you to, to do what it takes to get into place, in, uh, to, to remove the barrier and the obstacles to him. He does what is required to remove the barrier of sin by dying and resurrecting and say, follow me, believe in me. And so here's the beauty of Christianity as well, though, because it doesn't just stop with a legal transaction, a business transaction of a holy God, and you are unholy, and you can't be in his presence, and then he makes you blameless, and so therefore you're, you justify, you've been justified, you've been made as though you don't have sin, you're holy and blameless in his presence, and that is true, but it's not the whole story. Not only are you tolerated, yes, because if you were, then God would just say, okay, look, Jesus, your, your sacrifice was enough, it is satisfactory, it is powerful, and therefore they are allowed back in my presence. It is like when Adam and Eve walked with me, with me in the cool of the day. They can be in my presence, but I'm not going to be excited about it. But it is legal. So let's just, it can be legal. The Bible doesn't say that. It says that you are delighted in, that you are not just tolerated, you are loved, and that he is like a father to us, like the, the prodigal son coming home, that the father ran to him when he had nothing to offer, nothing to give but a sin and the awareness of his inability, and the father throws his arms around his neck and gets on his kisses on his, on, on his neck, and, and he gives him a robe and a ring that he, he does not deserve. 
This is the good news that it is for us, that if we get tired of that and you can just kind of yawn at that and go, yeah, that's a great story. That is nothing more than data dump and an information to you. Your heart has not been touched. And so we pray that our hearts can be pricked and hurt and bleed until we see this good news that needs to be shared for those that don't hear it and those that only have the information that their heart has not been opened, that there's not a burning passion in there, that we must know this God. I just want to know, we just want to know Jesus. The truth, when that truth lands on you, it's not the same. I'm not saying you're always walking around passionate and on fire. I'm saying you're never the same. And a quick aside, if anybody is in here, there's something in your heart when when we say the words like, wants to really know God, you want to know Jesus. If there's a fire in you, if there's something that says, yeah, me too, just come find me. Just grab me. What you said, let's let's talk about that. When it comes to discipling your family, and you may you may just not know how. You may not know that that's a thing. To to lead your spouse, to lead your children, to invite other kids from the neighborhood, just come in, oh, come into our family worship time. This is what we do, and then you're welcome to come sit. You may not think you can answer every question. You, you, you can't. I, I had a 12-year-old ask me a question this week. I'm like, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I hadn't thought of that. I thought I thought of them all. I have not. You may feel ill-equipped or think there's no way that you'd be able to do that. You, you may think, I've never seen it done before. I've never seen it modeled. How am I going to do that? You may think, I've waited too late. What's the point of starting now? And then shame will get on your shoulder and just echo and condemn you. And I'd say, no, there's no place for that here. That's the enemy. We just start where we are. And today is an opportunity. There's no judgment and your family's this and our family does that and we're doing it right and you're not. Get out. Have an honest conversation about what God has called us to. My prayer is that we would just really have a hunger for God. Not 10% of us, not 15 to 20% of us, but all of us would truly desire to know God with everything that is within us. Because he is worthy of that, and he is worthy of nothing less than that. He's worthy of everything. Now, we're in this together, and there's no perfect way to disciple. There are a lot of good ways. But you've got to start by leading yourself, discipling yourself. If you're empty, you've got nothing to give but rules and regulations. And those do not impart life. They impart death. And so, let's be born again. If you're not, again, come talk to me. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> I love talking to people that are like hungry for God. I mean, I never get tired of that. I'm like, I will drink coffee. No, I won't. I'll drink tea like all day long. I've never had a cup of coffee. I'm not going to start now. All right. Number two, lead your family. Whether you are single, newly married, divorced, married a long time, have kids, don't have kids yet, knowing how to lead your family, whatever that looks like, is a journey. It's going to constantly change. It's going to change with the age of the kids. It'll change with the presence or the absence of kids. You'll have them coming into your family. You'll have them going out of your family. You, you'll find yourself in your 60s, 70s, and 80s in, in a whole different relationship to that. You may be by yourself. 
So all these contexts, let's understand, we, we, we understand that. The way we start is by buying what we're selling. What that means is you've got to believe in what it is you're teaching, what it is you're talking about, what it is you're saying, live like this. You've got to own it, and you've got to own it when you don't, and you don't understand that. When I, I believe, that I don't understand these things, and this is what, you know, Lord, and, and we walk in repentance, and all of life is, is one of repentance. It's not sitting there beating yourself up and condemned and you didn't do it the right way. It's like, I didn't know, or Lord, help me, or my heart is just in the wrong place here. Draw me back, Lord. Because if you don't believe in what you're selling, your children will not. They will hear what you're saying. But they, there's just something about kids. They, they intuit that. They understand, even if they can't articulate it, they understand what we do and, and don't believe in. It, this is just not a place where you can say, do what I do, do what I say, not what I do. It just doesn't fly. So how does God tell us to, to make disciples in our family? Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Let's, let's read that together if you get the Bible. Deuteronomy 6. Let's turn to that. I kept saying, I would keep wanting to say and keep wanting to say I've been having some tongue problems this morning, so just bear with me, if you will. But we used to have, like, Bibles on the floor, so I was like, hey, grab a Bible. And we're six months into this, and I'm still doing that. So I've got some issues, evidently. Um, so I apologize. Do not grab anything off the floor. It's probably dirty. So there you go. <laughs> All right, I will read this if you do not have a copy of the Word or you didn't bring your phone, right? <laughs> All right, here we go. Here, oh, this is called the Great Shema, all right? Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, so this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel before they go in, they're on the plains of Moab, about to go into the promised land. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That's a lot. Not done yet. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Ooh, that's a lot. Hold on, verse 9. And, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God, God knows the fallenness of man is so complete that the lens for this world has got man at the center of everything. We are at the center of our universes, and everything is in relation to how it affects me. When in reality, the galaxy, the universe, is God-centered and bows to him. And so we are in conflict with how the universe was set up. And so we are constantly redirected, refocused on the love of God, on God being at the center, that he is, in, in fact, part of everything in our lives, that, that with all our heart and all of our soul and all of our might, these are synonyms. They're just kind of lopped on top of one another in Hebrew that mean, it mean this, everything you are, <laughs> that's what it means. Everything you got is to be focused on God. It is to include him. In every, he is your everything, Paul would say later. He is our all in all. That he is to be on our hearts. That we are to teach that to our children all the time. Sitting in the house, walking, lying down, rising up. Continually on our lips. Well, he, he, he is the creator of the universe. He knows the fabric of our soul, how we were put together, what our needs are. He gave us life and breath and purpose. And he is the desire and the goal of every human heart, whether they realize it or not. So that makes sense. Well, I really feel like that's a tall order, and I'm just condemning myself right now as I read all that stuff I should have been doing, I, I need to be doing, and, and I, I better start today because it's a command. 
Oh, that's good. Why do I give my children commands? Because I know they ain't going to do them unless I do. And I love you and I, I'm smarter than you are because you're like four or you're six. You don't know these things. You don't know, why am I going to school? I don't know, understand, I'm never going to use all this stuff. I bet, I bet you do. Get a bank account. You'll need to know how to add and subtract. It'll become very important to you when you have money, right? And just, just do the math. Just do the math. We have commands for a reason. They're the commands of, of love. Because we think we know but our wanter is broken. We know what we want, but our wanter is broken. It's been marred by sin, and we want the wrong things. We want things other than God. And we think the other things other than God will satisfy us, that will satisfy us. And he knows that, that we're constantly wanting independence from him, to choose the fruit in the garden. And our relationship with God, it, and it's not segmental to where, uh, you know, when I go to church, I'm with God, and I'll, I'll do a quiet time, and I'm with God, and then I go to school or work, and then I'm not with God. I'm like, there is no divide between the sacred and the secular. Your life is your life, and God is at the center and then everything else emanates out here from the center. He is to be intentionally in, in, included in all of our lives. It's not, well, I've got hobbies, and I've got work, and I've got sleep, and I've got this stuff over here, and then I've got church and God. No, no, no. The center is God, and everything flows out from there, and he is a part of all of it all the time. That, that's what it is to be baptized into that, to become into a family. You're not like a son, and then you go to work, and you're like, not a son. Right? I mean, you're a son at work, or you're a, a daughter at work, or whatever it is. Your identity doesn't change. Neither does your sonship or daughtership in Christ. You don't change hats. You are. I was reading a book in, uh, in high school called The God You Can Know by Dan DeHaan. And nobody's probably ever heard of him, but he, he taught a Bible study in Atlanta, like in, in the late 70s and 80s, early 80s. And, um, which I was in first grade. So I heard about this later, but I read, I read the book. <laughs> I was just thinking through the math, and I didn't want to scare anybody there. But um, it's a th strange things you'll think about as you're, as you're talking. But the, the book's name was the, <laughs> the God You Can Know. All right? And, and there was this phrase in there that struck me that, that I've, I never recovered from. He says that there's a place that you can get to in your relationship with God to where there is no difference between praying on your knees and playing basketball. Now, is there a difference between playing basketball and being on your knees? Yes, there is. But his point is that God is always with you, always. 100% of him is always with you. It's not well, when you go into prayer, there's a different thing going on. It's not different. It's different in your focus. Just like my, my conversation with my wife, when we sit on the couch at night every night, and we're face-to-face, -face and we're focused on what we're talking about or planning for the week or this is going wrong or, or sharing from our hearts or whatever, that's different than... When I'm in the kitchen and watching, or, or she's doing laundry and I'm washing dishes and we yell at each other, I'm like, hey, what about this, what that? And we're doing house chores. We're still communicating. It's just a different kind of communication. We're still 100% engaged. You see how that changes? And so it's not like when you're playing basketball, God's off the table. He's out of the picture. Wrong. He's not. You're just treating him that way. You don't, you don't know. He's with us all the time. He's omnipresent. That means everywhere. always in our thoughts and running in our conversations and it just kind of comes and goes during the day as you just pray and you're in and out of prayer and then, then there's formal times, there's informal times, but, but generally life is to be lived because God is always a part of it. Look at verse 7, it says, when you sit in the house and when you walk in the way. Well, what does that mean? It means when you're at home and when you're on the road. 
When you're at work, you're at school, and you're at home, there should be no difference in how you relate. You are you wherever you are. Don't be different. It's called integrity. Be who you are when people aren't looking, right? It works like this in private life and your public life. It's the same, it's saying the same thing. Verse 8, he says, bind them on your hands. In the Old Testament, what that on your hands represented action, what you do, your behavior, practice, how you live. Frontlets between your eyes, it's on your head. It's, it's how you think, the filter in which you see the world, your worldview. It's how we interpret things, that everything is, 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 is for him, from him, through him, by him, to him. It is about Jesus. That's how we should see it. That's what the Bible is saying. When you lie down and when you rise up, what does that cover? Only when you're conscious. Right? <laughs> Every waking moment right there. Write it on the doorpost of your home and on your gates. That, that means apply it at home. And this is how we apply the word at home and when we're doing home stuff. But when we go out in society, guess what? We're the same. It's no different. We don't shift in how we engage in the world. It doesn't mean you don't contextualize. It means you don't shift in your biblical worldview and, and how you see things. Whew, that's a lot. Here's what it means, all that means. It means if you love God with all of your heart, then you will love him with all of your life. That's what it means. If you love him with all of your heart, you're going to love him with all of your life. No, no part of it. I surrender all. That's the old song. And I would always have to make that a prayer because I knew that I wasn't honest in that. There's this part over here. I'm like, oh, not that part, Lord. Yeah, I want that too. called to and we need help we need Jesus's help verse 6 we're to teach and to talk about them it doesn't mean you've got it all figured out it means we're in community that's why we did community last week because we were to do this in community discipleship isn't just a learning event it is but it's a lifestyle we're talking and praying and interacting Consider Jesus and how he taught his disciples. He had the Sermon on the Mount, and so that was straight teaching. So, yes, we need that, absolutely. But then they followed him around for three years and did everything that he did with him. Hey, come on, we're going over here. Hey, come on, we're going over here. Let's go to this guy's house and eat. Let's go to this party over here. Let's go to this wedding. Just, just go here. Watch how I am, you know, basically. Do what I do. Watch what I do. Now, go do that. You get Luke 10. You know, all right, you saw what I did. Now, 70 of you, go. Now, 12 of you, y'all go. Come back, tell me how it went. All right, now I'm going to go away, and you're going to go, and I'm going to be with you always, but it's going to be a little different. But th that's how that works. And so consider what Jesus did. He said this, and he was with them for three years, and then he said in, in John 20, uh, verse 21, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is how I did it, through the Holy Spirit. And what I did, you do that. You go do that. And we apply it in the context that we live in and in the family that we're in. And we read good books and we study the Bible and we come to Sunday worship and missional communities and smaller groups to the, to the idea, the, the ability that we can. And we may want to incorporate another, uh, a more formal time at home. We call it family worship. It's a thing. This is not for me to go, here's something for you to do when you don't measure up to it, just beat yourself up. That's not what I'm saying. This is an opportunity that, that may, you may never even heard of or thought this is a thing. 
And so I want to just lay it out as, as a, an idea to think through. To make disciples in our home, it may be a helpful tool. And so I don't want you to sit around and, and beat yourself up if you haven't done this. Because if you're, why, why are you saying that so much? Because I'm really good at that. And I, it just keeps coming up. Because I'm like, I, just, I beat myself up because of some of these things. And I'm like, I'm escaping from that. Because I'm seeing the heart that God has behind it. I mean, you know your children. You know how they need to be led. If you don't, we want to help one another. Something that works for our family may not work for your family. I mean, you guys sit and pay attention. Our children don't, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. I mean, I could beat them into submission, but then I had little robots that had no, you know, that's, it's just we have to deal with who God has given us. Is it easy? <laughs> no. No. There's struggle involved. And it's necessary. As parents, we're simply called to be transformed by Christ and let that spill over into our children's lives in the everyday, in the structured and the unstructured. And we, we have to be intentional in some, some regards. Now, family worship may be as simple as once or twice a week. You just gather in the living room, you sit on the couch, and it may, or, or maybe it's just you and your spouse, but there's just two of you. Maybe you sing one or two songs or read a Bible story or, or devotion for 10 or 15 minutes and then you pray. We talked about doing this at the beginning of the, the pandemic. I kind of went into depth, but we didn't do it on Sunday morning. It's kind of a, an add-on, and I, I, I think, I don't know if too many people saw it, so I was like, let's do that one more time. It's important for mom and dad to model what they believe, for children to catch your mom and dad praying, reading the Bible, and not just before a meal. That's great. You may want to read from a short devotional that range, you know, we've got like from 8 to, to 15 in our, our kid ranges. You've got you to think about age appropriate. Or you just read a different translation of the Bible. Or you don't. No, I don't know. It, I don't know. I can't tell you how to do that. I'm just giving ideas here. Pray together when you go to bed. With four children, my wife and I divide and conquer. If there's only one parent in the home, just be creative. You know, I'll pray at one time or take turns. There's a lot of different things. But we're being intentional. See, even if we don't do it good, if, if you just are kind of like us, and when we started, and it was just absolute chaos just to get four children to sit on the couch, you know, which is good training in and of itself, I, I found it's like, all right, part of family worship is actually discipline. So <laughs> let's try that. All right? And it was like, if we just all come together and say, Jesus, I'm thinking, victory. Right? Because we're all here, and we know what it's about, and, and that's a starting place, and it's more than we did. So I'm like, yes. Right? I don't want you you do not have to recite the greater catechism. I mean, not today, right? Don't start with that. You will never go to day two. I promise you, you will just, just have condemnation sit on your shoulder and just scream at you, you're a terrible parent. That, that's all. You're, you're not like those people over there. They're really spiritual. You're terrible. That's all you'll do. So don't do that. Don't set yourself up for loss. Start small. That's what Jesus did. I mean, he spent three years. And still at the end, he was like, have I been with you so long? <laughs> you know, <laughs> have I been with you so long? Oh, my gracious. It's going to work. I know it doesn't seem like it now. You know, that's, what it's, that's the kind of the, the, the feeling you get when you read that. I'm like, we're slow. Keep moving forward. Fall forward. It's okay. Now, if I'm honest, I've got friends that are really good at this, and they just make me 
feel like I'm terrible at it. Now, they don't do that. I, I do that on myself. I'm like, gosh, I wish I could be more like, and so I spend more time kind of in defeat than I do in victory. And so I'm like, I, quit. You're wasting your time. Quit navel-gazing. Just me, 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 right? Stop that. Repent. Fall forward. Don't grow weary in doing good. Now, I know they need as much Jesus as possible. But it's as much about who you are as what you're teaching. They remember your character. What are you trying to do? They don't even think that they'll remember it. But when they turn 15, 20, 30, 40, I remember, I don't remember that lesson, but I remember when we sat that time and my dad said he was sorry because he didn't do family worship as well as he hoped he had or that he never did it and he wished that he had. I, I remember that. You know, those are the kind of things that are going to get triggered, not, you know, this wonderful dissertation on a hypostatic union. Nobody's going to remember that. You don't even know what I said, right? <laughs> I'm not saying it's not important. It's just not the goal here in this setting. They need to see forgiveness modeled between mom and dad. They need to know that tempers aren't just held on to. They need to know that things aren't just swept under the rug and you don't talk about it and don't mention it, that, that Christians actually deal with conflict. They talk about it. They work through it, and they realize that ne- nobody's got it made and nobody's perfect. They need to see tears. One of the healthiest things you can do when you get frustrated with your children you're like, well, I've never been frustrated with my children. I'm like, liar. When you get frustrated with your children, pray for them. Let them hear it. Pray over them. Be honest about your own heart. Be wise. But be real. Now, I say all that say, in wisdom, let me come back to that. In wisdom, there is a line somewhere, right? There's this line that over here, I don't want you to sit around and, and beat yourself up because you're not the best at leading families, and, and if you could just get it right, then they would be okay. And, and you say, no, I'm not going to sit around and beat myself up, and, and I'm going to realize that my value doesn't come from God from that and, and, and just because I don't do Deuteronomy 6 perfectly. So I'm not going to worry about that. Okay, well, don't go all the way into that camp. But you also have to have over here where you don't want to fall in the pit of God is gracious and God loves everybody. He loves me no matter what I do. And so, you know what, I don't even care how I live and I don't care if I don't have any fruit and I'm just going to live how I want. You don't do that either. Right? So there's this tension between it is God, you are not accepted by your level of perfection of family worship and you are not just going to let it go and let God and just whatever. But somewhere there is the struggle. There's the Romans 7 of family worship, I guess is the way to say that. I'm like, ah, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't want to do what I do do, and I know that there's something in me, and I want to do better, but I'm falling out over here, but I don't want to just stay here and give up. And, and it, well, I'm like, I love hanging out with folks like that. Because the struggle means it matters that there is a new creation in here that is fighting, that is fighting the fight of faith, that knows that this is not good enough, and I don't want to give up, and I don't want to do, and I want Jesus to come through, and I don't want it to be just me. Dude, that, I love it when I see that in parents. <laughs> I will encourage that and blow wind into that all day long. And yes, there's some good techniques and there's some books and there's some resources. Yeah, that's great. But if you got that heart and Jesus gives us that heart, if you don't pray for that heart, pray that you would, you would struggle. Pray when, when you just have given up. God, let me help me struggle. 
may, may I be like the deer that pants for the water, Lord, that, that I would not give up, that I would pursue you. Put that in me. I can't create a desire in my heart. Would you do that? I'm scared because I don't see that enough. Those are, those are awesome things. Remember, we're doing this together. And I wish missional communities could be honest enough, and I hope one day we can, and I know there's some that are, that we could talk about it and go, you know what, I wish I could do more like you do. I see how y'all do that, and I just don't feel like we're there yet. And, and over here, without feeling judged and feel like, well, I can't say that because I just feel like they're bad. And we're just looking at ourselves. And so we can't really say, how does that work for your kids and this over here? And, and you, just, you just feel, oh, I can't do any of that. And so we just hide and do nothing. And I say don't. Hide. Let's have courage. Let's have these conversations. Why? Because we want Jesus. And we want our kids to have Jesus. And we want our neighbors to have Jesus and our spouses to have Jesus. And we want to be reminded that we need Jesus ourselves. And it helps us to avoid the great making the, the biggest mistake we as Christians make, which is assuming the gospel for other people. We see nice people, the store, we assume they're Christian. Or we assume that people go to they go to a, a building on a Sunday morning, they're a Christian. They sing some songs, they listen to somebody talk, and they have a we assume they have a new heart. And and we can't do that, especially with our, our children. Because the Bible says this in Judges two ten, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Matt Chandler, it's a quote, I, I remember him saying that. Uh, he says that half-hearted obedience or half-hearted de devotion in one generation leads to full-on rebellion in the next. Half-hearted devotion in one generation leads to full-on rebellion in the next. And I, I thought that, that's what we see in, in the Old Testament, and it, and it kind of cycles down. And I'm like, let's torch the glacier that's coming for our hearts, the glacier of culture, the glacier of end times, the glacier of the pandemic, the glacier that is trying to, to freeze our hearts. And I say, Lord, would you torch our hearts and heat it up so even if there's just this one little spot that opens up in the iceberg where we are, that there would be life. And that we would know that we're Christians by our fruit, by praying and turning from sin and bearing fruit and desiring to please God and being transformed into the image of Jesus. And so I just say, may our children follow Jesus more closely than we do. And let the next generation be raised in the Lord. All right, let's pray together. The worship team can come on up. We've been trying to kind of change the culture uh, a little bit. And when I say that, what I mean is learning to honor one another. Romans 12.10 says, uh, outdo one another in showing honor. And so celebrating and honor those um, in our body. And so we've been going through missional community group leaders that have, uh, it's a, just a taxing place to be when you're, you're caring for folks and shepherding people and have a full-time job and, and children. And, and maybe you, you know, like uh, the Frainers today, you know, you're helping with photography at church and you've got a job and you've got a newborn and, and you're helping play drums. So there's just a lot going on. And so we just want to honor them by praying for them. And so uh, we've got a picture of uh, Michael and Jordan Frainer. It's the old, it's the beach shot. I love it. Who doesn't love a good beach picture? So let, let, let's, let's pray for them, um, that, that Jesus would be, I think he, they, they just said that simply he would be the center of their, their lives and their new family as they start out for par parenting and, and family as a whole. So we'll pray for the Frainers. Uh, they are uh, co-leading with uh, Aaron and Regina Yamaguchi. So we'll spend a couple minutes praying for them. And then pray that we would embrace discipling ourselves 
and our families, our children, and whoever God puts in our lives, that that would be a thing. We would long for that. And then finally, I want to just take a moment, and we don't want to forget thanking God when things we pray for happen. <laughs> a lot of times we'll just pray, and God help me here, and then, you know, a year later you're like, oh, yeah, that, that, did I pray for that? And so let's stop, recognize God and his goodness, and say thank you. Because Paula, who we prayed for, came home after 95 days in the hospital. And so this is not an invitation for you to go to her house. Don't make her food or anything like that. Let's just let's pause it where it is and uh, be thankful. There's a long road ahead, and there's still much recovery. But she got to go home and see her family and see her husband and her kids. And, um, we want to thank God and not forget that. So let's pray for a couple minutes. Father, it's my hope this morning that through your spirit, this would not be um, received as law, as you better, or if you don't, or you're bad because you haven't. This is simply an opportunity, an invitation to draw deeper into Jesus, to take our families with us, God, that we would recognize this just it's more opportunity that you have called us to seek you because we know, you know that you are the greatest thing in the universe, that there is, that there is nothing besides you, that there is no God besides you. There's nothing greater. So you're inviting us to our joy, and yet we don't believe you. And in your patience, you wait. You give us your good commands, and they are not burdensome when we see them for what they are. God, help us to pray like that, to trust you to the degree that we don't understand, and yet we say, give us the desire. Give us the desires of our heart. Give us the actual desires so that we would have the heart for you that we should have for you if we had the heart that we should have that hadn't been broken by sin. Would you heal us? Draw us to yourself. Father, we pray for the Frainers, the sweet family. God, that you would bless their, their, their house, bless their marriage, that you would draw them into you, closer to you, closer to each other time set aside and set up good practices early on. Pray for one another and have family worship. Father, we pray that, that you would create a culture, Holy Spirit, you would create a culture in this church and in North Alabama church, God, that just looks and longs for you to be a part of every, every part of every day, that you are everywhere, that you are part of what everything we're doing. There is no separation, and so we, should we treat you treated as such and then finally Father we just say thank you thank you for Paula that she is doing well that she's just improved so much that as we pray and pray and pray and pray that she's able to go home and be reunited with her family we pray just a special blessing on them that she continues to recover that she would get stronger and right now God we just say thank you in Jesus name
sentence and you are above all and you are in it and you are right here with us personally in this room. You are holy. In your name we pray. Guys, we, you, you will find a little juice cup with you with a 